1: of bonds and bondage and the author is rita baker and rita joins us now on author talk hello rita
2: hello steve
1: great to have you with us this is a as you put it a gripping tale and and folks who have read it say you know you take them there you take them right into the the setting the environment right into the characters passion emotion It's a gripping tale with mystery, love, sex, hate, and revenge, and also, of course, the consequences of one's actions that have on others. So tell us a little bit about your background, Rita, and why you wrote this book.
2: Certainly. As a young girl, I was always interested in the law and those who practiced it. I would read as much as I could about it, and then, by a miracle, I met my husband and was drawn to him even before I discovered he was a criminal lawyer. So I would have to say, yes, he influenced me uh, also by what I further discovered through him about those in the legal profession and, of course, the law itself and how its interpretation was crucial to to a lawyer's case. And thus, my imagination began to fly, and eventually I produced this book. But, you know, I never actually chose to write. I would have to say it chose me. From an early age when I first learned to read, I fell in love with the sound of words and the magic they could weed. Rather than play with dolls and prams like girls do, my greatest pleasure was to sit in front of the fire, stare into the flames, and dream of princes and princesses and wicked witches, of course. Anyway, as I aged, of course, so did my stories, and um, until this day.
1: Well, wonderful, wonderful picture you just painted. I can just see you sitting in front of that fireplace and and thinking about all these different possibilities, all these of uh, plots and and all of the characters, and so these characters. Attorneys, lawyers uh, sometimes uh, we just hate them you know it uh, seems like in there the, the more bad, the better too
2: oh absolutely. I mean, I, you know when I first started to write, um, I wrote a book I wrote a story it was a lovely story about a ship and um, um, a journey on board a boat going to South Africa and I showed it to my son, who 's also a writer, actually, but he writes non fiction. And I said, what do you think, Nicky? He said, uh, very nice, Mum, but where's the villain? I said, villain? What do you mean? There's no villain. He said, you can't have a novel without a villain. Well, I took notice, and hence the villains of my novels. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, so let's talk about the villains of your novel, of Bond and Bondage. Tell us about those main main villains. Who are they?
2: Archie Bingham, he is the villain. His entire existence is fue- fueled by a craving for revenge. He's the wickedest, meanest, uncaring character I could possibly have invented. The book, actually, the book's in two parts. The first part begins with an investigation. Um, Bingham, um, he um, eventually becomes. A district attorney uh, an assistant district attorney in New York, and he wants to get on, and um, he chooses to blackmail Joseph Bacchi. Um, he was a businessman, one with who once had, who was once affiliated to the Mafia. Well, of course, Bacchi couldn't give away any items. I mean, his life would be, he would have, you know, sort of his throat would be slit. So would his family. So he engaged his adopted grandson, who was also a lawyer, an American lawyer, to go and find out about Archie Bingham, who was originally from England, and what the grandson's name is Lehman, Frankie Lehman, and he goes to London, and during a series of meetings with um, uh, people who knew Archie Bingham, a story evolves about a man who seemingly is is filled with the devil, he's wicked, he's hateful. And it also tells you about, you know, when I used to read books, very often you hear a story about someone, two people are speaking, and then one of them goes away, the The main character goes away, and you don't know what that other person is thinking. I decided to tell the reader what that person was thinking. And so when Lehman has finished um, talking to uh, one of Artie's past um, Um, well, I can't call them friends. Nobody was his friend. Everybody hated him. Associates. You get, he, you, you the reader alone gets to hear his thoughts. And I give a little story about how and why he hated um, Bingham so much and what it did to him, how it affected his life. And um, anyway, that goes through the book. And I there are lots of little stories i have stories within stories and then in the second half you just you meet that's when you meet archie bingham himself and you get his um from you get all the stories from his perspective and um why he did what he did and how he did it and um and Basically, that's, that's, he hated his father so much, but I won't tell you why, that you will have to read the book to find out.
1: Well, there's always two sides to a story, so it's an interesting way to get to know this Archie Bingham, which is the uh, villain, uh, you even say he seems to be possessed by the devil, and Lehman, though, here's Lehman yes. trying to find out about Bingham's background, but at the same time, of course, uh, there has to be a love affair.
2: Oh, of course, there are two love affairs, um, one with uh, Lehman, when he's in London, he meets a girl of a different persuasion, and um, of course they fall in love, And but he is Italian, uh, Catholic, very strong Italian Catholic, and she is Jewish, and they realize that it just wouldn't work and so it's heartbreaking. It pulls at the heartstrings and there's a great scene at the end when they leave each other, when she takes him to the airport to go back home and what happens to her on the way home um, and how she came out of it. Well, of course, I shan't tell you that now. You'll have to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, then uh, what was I going to say? It, it, and then there's the, the a love story in the second half where... Bingham falls in love. Well, I'm not going to tell you who he falls in love with, but what he does is an absolute tragedy for not just for him, but for the girl. And um, well, it ends in a tragically. Let me just put it that way. He ends tragically. And um, and then the the last um, he, he brings his father down as he wanted to, but he brings himself down at the same time. But then I at the last chapter I weave both narratives together to and to give it a a more satisfying ending
1: yes shocking but touching
2: yes a shocking but touching yes you must have read that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, and and people
1: are saying you know it's a it's the kind of conclusion that as you put it is ultimately satisfying
2: yes that's right so
1: people don't end reading your book just all upset
2: no, they don't. They like to have a, an ending that they can feel. They don't like to be left in the air.
1: Right, right.
2: Yes, and I don't like leaving people in the air.
1: And another another interesting uh, theme is with this Lehman, who is trying to you know uh, understand Archie Bingham's background and. He goes to England to find that out, and he has this love affair that you've already talked about, but he also starts to learn about his own mysterious roots.
2: That's right. He well, his parents were from Italy, and um, I take you on a journey for two, for two chapters. I take you on a journey. Have you ever been to Italy on the Amalfi Coast? I haven't.
1: Oh, it-, it sounds beautiful, though.
2: It is beautiful. And if you read those two chapters, you will you will be there with me. Now, I always write about what I know, what I've experienced, what I understand. And my husband and I visited that part of the coast many times. The hotel that I um, that I've written about in uh, in the book is the hotel that my husband and I stayed at. I've even described the room we stayed in the hotel. I describe the journey we took along the Amalfi coast to Positano, and I describe Positano. Uh, but of course, the I've added the mystery that um, Lehman discovers ab- about his parents and his grandfather's. Um, Involvement—it's um, quite an intricate story, and it's—it's um, um, it's, it's a fulfilling story actually. He finds out a lot of things about himself, and um, but as I said, it's the end of those two chapters is very fulfilling for Lehman. He understands himself better. He understands his adoptive grandfather better. And um, But I can't go into too much detail because I don't want to give, give away the surprise. <laughs> well,
1: you're doing a great job of introducing all these characters and a lot of what they're going through. But in the midst of all this tragedy, you've also, I guess you enjoyed putting a little humor into the story. Tell us about that.
2: Oh, yes, I do. I always, I mean, I write all my books. I've written a number of books since. All my books are... Tragedies, But there's always humor. And who can, I, I, I don't know whether you know the English cockney. Have you heard of the English cockney? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I always add some cockneys in it and have some fun with them. And um, And I do, I have a lot of fun. <laughs> I have a lot of fun um describing this cockney couple who's very who are very indiscreet um typical cockneys and um it i that is they meet them on the boat going from um Sorrento to Capri, which is gorgeous Capri is gorgeous. I describe Capri as well it's beautiful, and actually the place where they go swimming um Lehman and his girlfriend is the place that I went swimming with my husband. It's a beautiful little cove along the coast. And to get down onto the beach, you have to climb down a ladder and drop the rest of the way. (laughs) And it's absolutely empty. The the peach is absolutely empty. And my husband swam, but I couldn't. I tried to get in, but the waves are so high and strong that they just push you back. And I described that. And that is exactly what my husband and I did. And so basically, in a sense, although I'm adding tragedy to it, I'm writing about myself and my husband. There's there's a lot of myself in this book. There's a lot of my husband in this book. There's a lot of everything I do, all the places I go to, I've been to, I've seen, I've experienced. So it's not... So you're, you're learning actually a lot about me in that book.
1: And you've known similar characters that are in your book.
2: Oh, I have. I've, I mean, I've mixed with lawyers all my life. I mean, all my married life. And um, law, lawyers, badisters, judges, and I knew their characteristics, the, their mannerisms, and I describe them in the book. And, um, but uh, as a background to the story, and um but i love doing that i mean how can you create a realistic character unless you can see them in your mind one thing about the writer um you can see everything i mean i don't know about other writers but i'm sure they have the same uh, way of doing things i i have this imagination this memory where i can visualize everything as it happened i can even you know, I can see back as far as my childhood and I can remember every detail, I can remember what I wore, I can remember a person's face, I can remember their mannerisms, and I add all these things to my book, and that's why in the Kirkus Review it says that I create realistic characters, convincing characters, because I'm describing people that I knew, their mannerisms, their looks, their the way they talk, the way they walk, the way they do everything, even their dress. But that's that's what writing is all about. The creative mind is an amazing thing. It's sometimes you write, as in this book, and it's as though the words are just falling out of somewhere, out of nowhere, and before you know what you're doing, you've got a book and it's as though the book has written itself. It's but you know, it happens with all creative people. Have you ever wondered why Mozart could write music without ever having to redo something, just from A to Z all the way through? It's because he hears the music inside his head before he writes it down. And that's the way, that's what happens with a writer. You, The words just fall into place inside your head And before you know what you're doing, there they are on the page. And they come to. And the same with I used to write poetry. The same with poetry. You know, the finest poems are those that come to you in seconds. They are perfect. The rhythm is perfect. The rhymes are perfect. Everything about them is perfect. It's as though someone from outside of yourself is planting it inside your head and you're just writing it and that's what happens and that's what happened with this book it was as though it wrote itself <laughs> and that's what happens i find when i do write it's um the creative mind is is fascinating that's it's a wonderful for sure. thing
1: well you're a very creative person and you're a delight to talk to and you've explained and your book so well and taking us uh, into the minds and hearts of these characters and even taking us on a little journey uh, to some very pretty places. And that's what makes this book so unique. Rita Baker, she is the author and the title of Bonds and Bondage. Rita, what's the best way to get your book?
2: Um, Well, I suppose the best way to get my book is uh, you can get it. It's on Amazon. It's on AuthorHouse. And um, it's an e-book, which is very reasonably priced. Or you so most people, a lot of people, like to have a book in their hands. And uh, you can, as I said, Amazon, Author House, um, Barnes and Noble. Um, but I also have a website now. You can see all this on the website. It's www.authorritabaker.com. And then you can, you can also see me on that website and about the book and how you can buy it.
1: Thank you so much for joining us on Author Talk.
2: It's been a pleasure, Steve. Thank you.
0: You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages.
3: Have you heard?
0: Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by AuthorHouse, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world.
4: Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled "Animals as Seen Through God's Eyes: A Walk Through the Bible in Search of the Truth About Animals." And our author, Dwyla R. Funk, joins me from Missouri a little town called uh, it was an unusual name what was it now was it curiosity or what was the name <laughs> of your town
5: it's peculiar
4: peculiar well it has my curiosity to share with me the a little of your background why are you interested in animals by first uh, request
5: um well i think i don't know i always have been i've always loved animals growing up um always had pets and so that's I don't know. It's just something that's been in me all my life.
4: And you're not a veterinarian or anything related no, to no, the industry. I'm
5: not. Um, probably should have been, um, except I get squeamish around blood and all that. So, <laughs> I thought that probably wasn't a good thing for me. But sure. Um, There's anyway. I mean, I, I pursued other interests, and although I keep going back to the whole issue about the animals.
4: There is a, a general curiosity about animals and scripture, if you want to r- refer to it that way. In fact, some people have asked, is, "Am I go- if if I die and if I do go to heaven, am I going to see my dog or my cat or my uh, my pet monkey, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. is? Is that part of your curiosity, or how did this book get written? What was the uh, impetus behind it?"
5: Well, I think first of all, I guess just a little bit about my background so you understand. I was not raised in a uh, family that, um, I guess, we believed in God, but we were not church-going people or any of that. My grandmother was the one that was kind of in uh, the catalyst to kind of get me closer to God, and so, but anyway, and she was the one that gave me my Bible that I had when I graduated high school and yada, yada, but um, what got me to do this is, as in my adult years, um, and I started to get a little bit closer to God and reading the Bible for myself, um, being from Missouri, I kind of got to know what's really going on since so somebody tell me what's in it. Um, but then I, because I am drawn to people that love animals as well, and something with my animals that I've had and when they passed on, um, I've had the question, you know, what's going to happen? Do they go to heaven? Do not? And I've heard a lot of people and a lot of preachers even saying that animals don't they do not have a living soul and so therefore they will not be in heaven Mm they're unlike humans and we're the only ones that will end up going to heaven and that always bothered me but I never really pursued it and then I started having friends because like I said I'm drawn to people that love animals too common interests and they were having some of the same questions when they've lost a pet and was really I mean troubled with that so finally I decided um, to search out for myself and because i work in a school district um i'm off during the summers. so i thought okay i'll take this opportunity to research the bible for myself by this time i had read through the bible but you know that took me a, a couple of years um but i mean i think it just finally i was going to be pursuing about this so i got you know an exhaustive concordance i used the bibles that i had And I tried to research finding any other books out there that were on this topic. There weren't a lot, and they were hard to get your hands on. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just did it myself, and I was writing out the scriptures, and I was going through trying to find anything at all. And after doing this, I was going to try to figure out, I was kind of just doing my own research, and that was it. I just wanted to find the answer. And so after doing that and finding an overwhelming amount of scriptures not only covering about animals going to heaven but so many other things about how we're supposed to treat animals um, how God's used them to teach us messages I mean there was just a lot of information um, that it just dawned on me I mean I was finally realizing that yes indeed animals do go to heaven it's it's there you know people are just going to look that they do have living souls just like we do. Yes, they are different than us, but God still made them and he loves them and he has a purpose for them. But, you know, just looking at all of this, and I realized somewhere down the road, that's when I thought, if I have all these questions and I have friends that have these questions and I can share, you know, with them what I found and encourage them to go look for themselves, but there's probably countless others that had the same questions that I did. There
4: are probably not so, any other books out there that have dealt with this subject either. Have you found any?
5: Very few. I mean, there are some, and I mean, there may be more now, um, but I know when I was trying to search, number one, going to bookstores, trying to find anything, you cannot mm-hmm. find any. Um, some online, I could find some, and some of them just weren't what I was looking for. I mean, there were some that were close, And I bought them, and I read them cover to cover and highlighted in them and all that. Um, Some that were good, and they did put a lot of scriptures. It was just after doing all the research, I found there's so much more to share. And so that's when I went ahead. And I honestly, I talked myself out of this book I don't know how many times. Mm. And I think just because of my fear, because I was not, that was never my idea or plan is to be a writer, you know, to write a book or to get it published but it was like God kept putting things in my path, and
4: so it was like, okay, I have to do this. <laughs> right. And so now I did, my fears I Did you it. not write another book called Thumper's Gift? Is that uh, just a story that didn't get published, or how was that uh, in, involved in, in your writing but, past? Say that again? I'm sorry. Thumper's what Gift, is? what is that? Uh, was oh, that a story thumpers, that you...
5: Yes. <laughs> that was... Okay, that was a story, and I had to include it in there because it was kind of part of the journey, because this book is not only you know, all the scriptures and what I found from my research, but it's also kind of my journey as well, you know, kind of what I went through with all this. Thumper's gift, I had um, well, I had found after I moved out to the country, a couple of workmen's cottontails, and I raised them, and it was, Thumper was a couple years old, two or three, and something happened, she got sick or something, and she died, Mm -hmm. and of course I was very sad, you know, overwhelmed with this, but it was like six months prior to her dying, I and I had been reading the Bible and kind of, um, this was before I started searching out the truth about what God really sees about animals, but it was, I had been reading the Bible, though, and getting to know God a lot more, and so about six months prior to Thumper dying, it was, I had this dream, and it was one of those dreams that was just kind of weird, and I, I know this may makes me sound crazy, but it was, it took place out here in the back by my woods and it was at night and i i it was a weird thing and i saw all these animals out in the woods and they were all getting along and there was this big bear that stood up and was dressed and it was kind of weird but it was kind of talking to me and i can't remember what all was said mm-hmm. but i remember coming in the house from my dream this is still my dream and i just remember i got to remember this this is really important so when i woke up i wrote down the dream and that was it, and left it. Well, then, like I said, six months later, Thumper died, and that was really sad, um, and that was probably one of the first losses that I had in my adult years of losing
4: a pet. Prior to having that dream, were there any overindulgences with uh, exotic foods or other things that might have spurred that remembrance? No,
5: no. I mean, no. sometimes I just, I, I can have weird dreams at times, but sometimes they're just, you know, silly dreams. And I didn't know that that meant anything at the time, that dream. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, it was one of those things. I had a dream. This was odd. I wrote it down. And sometimes I'll do that with dreams. If it's something that is, I don't know, I had this overwhelming feeling about it that there's something about this dream. And I've had a few of those over the years. It's not like it's all the time. But anyway, so I don't know why I
4: had it. Don't know why you had it. No, this this particular study, this research, this uh, delving into the mystery of animals through God's eyes, what did you discover that surprised you and may surprise the reader?
5: What surprised me, I think, the most is that, and granted, everybody has a right to believe what they want to believe, but of course I'm always trying to search out, find out the truth or what the facts are. Um, What I found in there is that if you go through the Bible, there's different things that repeat itself, and it kind of explains itself. That's the way I'm learning this is what I've heard, but just trying to find it out myself. And when you go through and you really start going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelations, and you're looking at these things, and you're looking at the repeated message, okay, this is what really surprised me is how much people are so wanting to say, and I'm saying people in general, people that maybe don't have a connection with animals or what have you, but how they want to say that animals don't go to heaven, that God almost put them here on earth as things are to be used. Hmm. And that's not the case at all.
4: If you really
5: read it, I mean, God is about, we're supposed to show compassion to animals. We're supposed to be caretakers of animals. You know, they are here for a purpose. That was not his initial plan was for us to kill animals. And in the end, everything is going to turn out right in heaven. I mean, the way he's going to work things out, and there won't be any killing, and animals will be there. And so that's the most uh, amazing thing to me, is how people can so twist things around to suit their own needs. And I know, when I started off on this journey, I knew I was going to be faced with, okay, what if I find the answers not what I want? Um, I've got to be able to know the truth,
4: mm. you
5: know? I can believe whatever I want to believe, but it doesn't make the truth. I wanted to find out what the Bible said about it.
4: You've written 212 pages, and just for our listeners who may not know Scripture, it does talk about the lion and the lamb laying down together in a peaceful time. It also talks about horses in the book of Revelation. So there are some specific references that uh, could be, I don't know, they could be type and shadow or it could be just a um, a visual or visionary thing. But there is a good possibility there will be actual animals, according to what I have read as well. Now, 212 pages. That's a lot of uh, a lot of information that you've shared. Uh, how long did it take you to complete this, Twyla? <laughs> Um,
5: Well, like I said, I would do the research during the summer, and then I would just kind of put it away for during the school year. So, honestly, it took all in all, and for me to finally go through, I wrote it, I revised it after a couple years each time. All in all, it took about 12 years.
4: Twelve years. Uh, Do you think Uh, that this will be appealing to a lot of people that are religious or non-religious, perhaps?
5: I think it could be, and I think it's primarily the reason I wrote it, like I said, is to share it with other people that are animal lovers and have the same questions I did. And that I just wanted to share with them what I found and encourage them to seek out the truth for themselves. Go to the Bible themselves. Look at it. Don't just trust me on this. I wrote out the scriptures because that was the way I wanted to have a book. I wanted it right there where I could see it. But I encourage everybody to go and search out the truth for themselves. I mean, don't take anybody's word on anything. I think think animal lovers, and I think some Christians would, and definitely Christians that are animal lovers, definitely. Some people won't want to because it's not the interest and that's not the message they want to see. Sure. And that's totally up to them, too.
4: And you wouldn't call this a doctrinal stance. It's an opinion based on your study of Scripture, correct?
5: Right. I mean, I am not a pastor. I never (laughs) went to seminary. I am just your average Joe. I mean, hopefully I'm reasonably intelligent. I mean, you know, going to college and I have, a, you know, my own career um, as a clinical social worker. But this is based on just anybody can go to the Word themselves, search it out for yourself, find out what God is telling you, you know, based on His Word in the Bible. Um, that's what I wanted to do and to show people is you don't have to go seminary for God to talk to you.
4: And you live in Curiosity, Missouri or something like that.
5: <laughs> that's right, that's right.
4: <laughs> <laughs> now, share with my listeners how they can get a copy of Animals as Seen Through God's Eyes.
5: Well, again, unfortunately, it's not in bookstores because this is my first book. But um, it is through, you can get it at through AuthorHouse, you can get it on Amazon.com, and also BarnesandNoble.com.
4: They also can request this at their local bookseller, just uh, for those who may be listening overseas or somewhere else in the world. This is uh, still available, and and you can also do a search under the author's name, Dwila R. Funk, F-U-N-K, first name D-W-I-L-A-1-L. Dwila, thank you for joining me today. Uh, Are you planning to do a follow-up book uh, to this particular story?
5: Well, at this moment, I I don't. Steve one, But who knows what God has in store? So if it comes up that there's a need or something else that I need to research on, then maybe.
4: Very good. And just for a brief moment, introduce this book to my listeners one more time and get them interested in getting their own personal copy of Animals as Seen Through God's Eyes.
5: Um, it's it's what it says. It is a walk through the Bible in search of the truth about animals. And I research the Bible from Genesis to Revelations to find out what God really says about it. It's, um, it's a book of hope, um, because I think God really does have it all planned out, and He is amazing. Uh, after doing the research, I began to love Him even more and more and trust Him with everything. So I'd encourage you to check it out, see what you think, and hopefully it'll encourage you to get into the Word yourself.
4: Thank you for sharing your insight into animals as seen through God's eyes, a walk through the Bible in search of the truth about animals. Thank you, Dwyla, for joining me today.
5: Thank you for having
4: me. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker.
0: You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on TogiNet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote and sell their books around the world. The title of the book D Trees Round Trip
1: and the author is Maribel V Moses and Maribel joins us now on Author Talk. Hello Maribel.
6: Good morning, how
1: are you? Great to have you with us. This is a children's book. A lot of adults enjoy it as well. You're focusing on some life lessons for children, such as persistence, self-esteem, self-control. And we're going to talk more about details uh, about that and, uh, of course, how the characters interplay with each other on that and, of course, also how to face one's fears. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, how this book came about.
6: Sure. Well, I'm originally from Costa Rica. I've been in, in the United States for 30 years, but um, mostly the book came about. I don't know. I think almost like um, in automatic inspiration because I started just writing it, like from nowhere, no, just uh, on, like automatic writing. And I wrote it uh, originally in Spanish, and uh, and then I kind of you know you write it and you just put it to the side. But then, when I came very in, in close relations with the, the missions that my husband and I take place on um, for children with deformities, then I I say, what am I doing with this book on the side when this can actually be so much help? So I just kind of pull it back out and then reward it in English, and and that's how it came about to have it published.
1: Yes, you just mentioned about this. Uh, Business, Uh, You're the founder of Art for Smiles. You also have a Smiles International Foundation. Tell us a little bit about that.
6: Well, Smiles International Foundation, which I am vice president, and uh, with my husband, who actually founded, is um, we do missions for uh, children with cliff lip and pellets and other kind of facial deformities. We did this in uh, Mexico, we done it in India, in Ukraine, in Costa Rica, and uh, this is something that it is really life-changing experience to see how these children suffer and face in the world with a facial deformity, which everybody sees first, it's your face, right? Unless you're on the radio.
4: <laughs> right,
1: right. Well, so. let's talk about Dietrich's round trip now Tell us a little bit about Dietrich and why he is the way he is, the way this character, your main character, in this children's book. Tell us about Dietrich.
6: Well, Dietrich just has uh, life questions, and maybe that reflects some of my life questions. But he, in his um, wondering of uh, life and trying to understand it, he just kind of disappears into his own world, and that's how the adventure starts. You know, in a dark place where he's trying to find his way. And that's, you know, that's Dietrich, you know, a searcher well,
1: right? Um, R- uh, me- you-
6: questions in life.
1: You mentioned this dark place. Now, that does that represent, like, our fears?
6: Well, exactly. The unknown, what you can't really touch. Kind of, you feel it, you know, it's there, but you, you just can't see it. So it is dark. And that's where he started. And, of course... As the book progresses, you will find out why, you know, what was that point of that darkness.
1: So he has these fears that he has to learn to overcome, and the life lessons in the book, again, I'll mention those persistence, self esteem, and self control. And you do that not only with Dietrich, but with the creatures that he meets along his journey. So. Tell us how, you know, something about those creatures and how they help him understand these life lessons that will help him overcome his fears.
6: Well, these characters, as you learn at the very end, is he created each one of those characters because it's almost like you creating an image or putting a face on on your fears, like your insecurities, like uh, Patitas, for instance. Patitas is the centerpiece who don't know which way to go and he calls patitas which means many feet and he says i got many of them but sometimes these many feet have 50 going in one direction and 50 going in the other direction so this character is is reflection of him he created that it is the insecurities that we all face which way do i go do i do i learn to control those fears to be able to have you know, a direction actually in which to go for. That's one of the characters. The other character is Christopher. Christopher has an unusually large hands, feet, and feet, and he feels very bad about how people look at him. Of course, children mock him, children put names on him, because Christopher has this large head, hands, and feet, and he has a low self-esteem because people only speaking of what they see going beyond the physical, right? So that is another reflection of him. And again, I don't want to give the punchline, but at the end you will learn what what was that about. So he has to learn it's like how to love himself despite uh, his differences amongst other children. And also, what is this difference offering to me that are actually, you know, powerful to me in life? You know, with big hands, maybe I can hold on to things better, you know, maybe because I do have a big head, maybe I have, you know, a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom, how this helped me. So that is why the characters, you know, start to take place. Along with alone Those are the three main, but he meets many other ones along the way.
1: So these fears, of course, as we all know, can literally... Throw up roadblocks in our lives where we feel like we don't even we're kind of powerless, and you're also teaching children because of the example of of Dietrich the importance of their imagination their imaginary worlds
6: well exactly, and also uh he'll hear once in a while Dietrich will hear this voice that at the beginning kind of helped him and found you know, like, okay, don't be afraid, just keep, you know, and this voice, in a way, in a metaphysical way, is trying to tell us, you have a, you know, a powerful inner voice. You're not alone. And this voice, you know, once in a while, he he figured out that he can call out and ask for help. Like when he met a, a character and he said, do I bring him alone or he's going to instruct my finance? And, he, and then the voice said, You know, every person that comes into your life is for a reason, you know, and maybe that's part of your finding. So So that uh, that is another way to show, like, metaphysically, the imagination, how you can tap in to to take notice of those things.
1: So this is a journey of self-discovery, Dietrich's round trip. Exactly. And so as Dietrich goes on this journey, uh, as he meets these different creatures— That sometimes represent some of his fears and how they overcome, uh, whatever their challenges are. He he sees he sees more and more clearly of of how to live life to its fullness.
6: Well, and not only that, but in this adventure, they'll join together the three of them. Then they go up, and as they go up in these little rolling hills, or you know, as they grow sometimes bigger they find positive things of life. So they meet other characters that are teaching them, okay, this is a good thing in life. Everybody's happy, it's joyful, you know, they teach you more things, you know, helping these characters to understand, okay, you're wonderful, you're perfect. Or they go, at times, they go downhill, and if they have fun going downhill, and Patitas maybe slide downhill and everything, they go down low, they always find dark characters all sad people or sad circumstances that they then become to bear uh, as time progresses in the book, they realize wow it's harder to go up, but good things we find, and sometimes we go down, but it's not so good what we find down below, but they learn to make distinctions what is good, you know what is what is negative in life, you know, maybe doing drugs, they found a cat smoking you know and to, and, and offering me all kinds of crazy things. They realize that's scary. It doesn't feel good, you know. So it's not just himself, but it, it put a, cor- a correlation on his a view of, yeah, the, the life offers, offers up and
5: down.
1: So this adventure of a child's life, which teaches him how to prepare for his own reality and learning how to make the best choices. That's what you were just talking about, learning to make the best choices. Exactly. Well, very interesting. What age group would your book be
4: best for?
6: Well, I think from eight-year-olds all the way up to thirteen-year-olds. And, and like I was saying at the beginning, the adults. All the comments that I read. Sometimes one of the comments I read, you know, another, um, you know, book selling stores. They say, "Well, this was great for my kid, but I sure love being in it." My husband is a doctor. And he sure had a time reading it and had a lot of fun reading it, too. So so it's it's good to know that because even if there's smaller children, maybe adults, don't be so bored reading it to the kids, and it can also explain what is going on in the story. But mostly then for 8-year-olds on up.
1: Right. But you're dealing with life lessons that people of right. all ages can identify with.
6: Exactly, precisely. I mean... I come from divorced uh, parents. My parents uh, separated when I was only five. I was the middle child of five children, which in sense you learn to kind of go along because you're most ignored. But nonetheless, you know, things are reflecting in you somehow, you know, consciously or subconsciously. And so I wanted to tap into that. And then I work with a foundation that deals with facial deformities. And these children come to you and say, well, am I this way because of my mother, you know? And uh, so everybody questions things in life. So this is a good way to tap into many little things.
1: Certainly, certainly. Well, it looks like a very entertaining way to deal with some issues that often we maybe don't want to deal with, but you're doing it in a way to help children to work through, uh, you know, their own own fears and give them some... Ideas about making correct choices, and really, too, how we need to have friends to help us.
6: Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I mean, I could give you the punchline, but it's really sweet because then, you know, uh, (laughs) at the end he discovered that, you know, all these things he brought in, every single thing around him, he was uh, in a coma, so when he was sleeping, everything around him was actually affecting his story in the subconscious. You know, Patitas was a gift, somebody put it in his bed, it's a stuffed little animal, but he brought it into the story, he wrapped it around, you know, not knowing which way to go, and you know, and then he was the one in a coma because of an accident, so he had the big feet, the big head, the big hands, because everything was in bandages. So again, he brought that into the story. You know, it's really a. It's not because I I wrote it, but I thought I, when I was writing it at the end, didn't know how it was going to end, and, and everything kind of came together. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. And I think that's part of it. And even in life, as we leave it, sometimes we feel like we are in a coma when we can't make decisions. We have to sometimes to take a, a step, you know, a step away from things to be able to see them more clear.
1: Very well said. Very well said, Maribel. Tree's Round Trip. The author is Maribel V. Moses. Maribel, what's the best way to get your book?
6: Well, you know, of course, we have it in Author House. And then, I, you know, we, there's an, um, an Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble and, Nobles and uh, throughout the foundation, you know, Smiles International Foundation. You can uh, and like I said, our proceeds for this book goes to help with our missions, which are several times a year, and uh, help with uh, the supplies for this. You know, the cost of all the supplies for these medical missions. They are free to our patients.
1: Thank you so much, Maribel, for joining us on Author Talk.
6: Thank you so much for um, giving us a chance to explain about my book and to share it with the world because that's the whole idea to reach out for others and you know to grow together to become a better person